0: I was desperate, you know, at the time I was 17, 18, unemployed, you know, and I was desperate to, you know, to get a break, and I knew that if I did get a try, I would, you know, I would grab the chance. I think it was always going to be boxing, I mean I stepped into the gym as a 10 or 11 year old, boxing just took hold of my heart straight away, I love everything about the sport of boxing. Hello, I'm Marie Crow, and this is We Become Heroes, the RTE sport podcast that explores how lead athletes and sports people reach the top of their game and the lessons that they learned along the way. I'm delighted to say that my guest today is a broadcaster and former professional footballer, Eamon Dunphy. Eamon, thank you so much for doing this. Just first of all, how's life? How's things? How have you been during the pandemic?
1: Uh, Everything is good, thank God. I'm double jabbed. Uh, We were very cautious. We wore our masks and we stayed socially distant and um, we got through it okay. Uh, We didn't have some of the problems other people have. We were able to work from home, for example, and uh, everything's fine. We just have to be careful still. Um, And uh, we're much more fortunate than other people.
0: Can you recall your first, like your earliest memory of sport?
1: Yeah, I was um, I was born in and lived in Richmond Road, Drumcondra, right opposite Talker Park, uh, with and this was in an era um, when soccer was hugely popular. I grew up in an era where you know the great League of Ireland teams, Shamrock Rovers, probably most dazzlingly, but Waterford and, and Drumcondra, who played in Talker Park, they were great teams. Uh, they were marvelous players. Uh, League of Ireland rounds were full um, when the big teams played each other. So it was a very flourishing uh, League of Ireland soccer uh, scene in Cork. Um, and that's when I grew up and I was soaked in it right from the beginning with the crowds going in every Sunday uh, to talk the park. I was outside um, hoping to get a lift over the styles. Uh, so that was my first... Uh, and also, I went to Croke Park a lot with my father, who was a Gaelic fan, uh, a Kilkenny follower in Hurling and a Dublin follower in Gaelic football. So, we were in Croke Park uh, every Sunday during the summer and in Tolkot Park or Daily Man Park, which is close by. Um, so, my whole life was absorbed uh, by sport and it was wonderful.
0: Yeah, it does sound absolutely wonderful. So, who were your heroes then? Like, did you have posters on the wall back then?
1: <laughs> we, didn't have, we didn't have a wall. Um, <laughs> we didn't have posters. No, but we—I kind of um, knew. Uh, I suppose my—I used to go daily Mount Park to watch the Irish team, and there was a, a player playing for the Irish team who was very small, Georgie Cummings. He played for Luton who were then a first division club, Um, and uh, he was a very small, uh, very ball-playing inside forward. Uh, There was such a thing as an inside forward. They're midfield players now. And he was one of my heroes. Because I was very small, um, I thought he was great. And it was a very good Irish team then. And people like uh, Charlie Hurley played. And all kinds of wonderful players. John Giles, of course, was all, also a hero because he was made his debut for Ireland when he was 18. And I was in Daly Man Park when he scored his first goal against Sweden, which was a dazzling goal. Um, and he would have been five or six years older than me, but he was a legend in schoolboy football in Dublin. Um, and oh, people always said, this guy is the best uh, we've ever produced and he turned out to be uh, just about that uh, bearing in mind Roy Keane and Paul McGrath uh, would be also on that list as indeed would Liam Brady so um, John Giles would have been a hero um, and Georgia Cummings
0: It's funny you say you a small I guess I never picture you as small because I always see you know anytime I saw you you were such a, a big character were you as small as a kid all the way through?
1: Uh, yeah, I was tiny. I, I was small and frail, um, but I was also the other big thing when I was growing up was street football. We played a lot of football on the street after school, before school, uh, in the lunch break. <laughs> we played every chance we got if we could get a football, which wasn't a guarantee in those days. Um, so I was a street footballer and that was my involvement in it. Uh, the one thing I had was determination. And football is a game where if you're if you have guile uh, and um, a bit of wit about you, the big guy doesn't necessarily win the small guy I mean I was not Lionel Messi, but Lionel Messi is a perfect example of somebody who really is very small uh, but still a very strong much stronger than I was but still a great the greatest player maybe we've ever known so uh that was, my, that was my life. We played from the end of school until uh, we were called in for our tea or our dinner, um, depending on which district you lived in. Um, and then sometimes went out again in the summer, of course. Uh, there was no social media. There was We didn't even have a television. Um, and when televisions came in, uh only this very very privileged had them uh, so we didn't have anything else to do except go out and play in the street or to read and i I joined the library as soon as I was old enough to. so I read a lot and I played a lot of football um that was it, and then went to game went to matches uh which was brilliant, so I was my whole life that was it as at school. Of course, which I actually enjoyed, um, was the other part. But there was nothing like the distractions or entertainment uh, or the buzz that kids get today. They have a lot more Mm -hmm. uh, to to be doing. Uh, They can do almost anything, including making uh, things themselves, which is brilliant. But we didn't have that. But it did force you to use your own imagination. What did you read? I read everything actually, I first started off with comics, I read my father's newspaper, which he brought home every night, Um, and then I joined the library, and I read Biggles and uh, Roy of the Rovers, all kinds of stuff. And then I I sort of progressed uh, to um, reading uh, more serious books. Again, the libraries, the public libraries were brilliant uh, because they they offered people without means an opportunity to access books. The problem was you could only get one book every fortnight and I'd have finished it in two days. So you'd have an agonizing wait until uh, you were able to go in again. That kind of uh, shortage or deprivation was common. Um to people, you know, who didn't live in uh, houses full of books, um, unfortunately. But, you know, I still um, enjoyed my school. I worked hard at my school. I worked hard at my football. I read an awful lot. Um, And even going to the movies or the pictures, as we called them, uh, was a bit of a struggle uh, to get the used to cost eight pence, which I'm not sure, uh, but it was a lot of money in those days.
0: So, I Eamon, when did you realise or notice or understand that maybe you had a bit of a talent for football?
1: Well, I joined Scatamara's, Um, I played in the road leagues in the summer. Um, there was no football um, in the League of Ireland or anything or at schoolboy football. So there were road leagues. So each road uh, or district had a team and you play improvised games actually games with referees and proper games uh for road leagues I played in the road leagues i it was really for kids who were teenagers, but I played when I was eight nine ten um and that's when I realized um that I could play and then I joined Stalamaras when I was maybe eleven and played. Uh the f- earliest stage you play in those days was under 13 and i was because i'd spent so much of my life doing it on the street i was pretty good i knew i was pretty good and i got picked to play for dublin under 14 and we played belfast and at that stage i thought i was uh, a great player a <laughs> of <some> good there. <laughs> and that, that was wonderful and then I was in the Irish schoolboy team on the fifteen. And we played in England in Talker Park actually. And we played Wales in Cork. And um Manchester United scout Billy Bean um was watching our schoolboy matches and we all knew he was there. And um we didn't know quite who he was. Uh, watching, but he was a kind of legendary figure. He'd sent John Giles away. He sent Paul McGrath away later. Um, uh, In fact, he didn't send Paul McGrath away. That's somebody else, actually, uh, who was the manager of St. Pat's, a man named Walker, who's Charlie Walker, who's a wonderful man. But he sent a lot of players away, Billy Bean, and um, he sent me away to Manchester for a trial, a two-week trial. And at that stage that two-week trial really amounted to the coaches having a look at you. But Manchester United in 1960, which is the year I went, had just experienced the Munich air crash, uh, which was tragic in the most awful way. But Manchester United was a club with a lot of glamour associated with it because the style of football they played, because their manager, Matt Busby, and they had their pick of any young player in these islands, Scotland, Wales, England, and um, and Ireland, of course. But it was a huge leap. And um, really, the decision of whether you were, were kept or not came down to a 45-minute uh, half a game that I played in that Matt Busby watched. And that was that was your trial, really. And I don't know, some god up in the sky, I absolutely played brilliantly. <laughs> I couldn't, I, I knew there was a lot on the line, but we were playing against the best young players in these islands. And I don't often praise myself, but I did. And after 45 minutes, Jimmy Murphy, who was Matt assistant, Uh, And in charge of the young kids at the club, he said, you can come off now, Eamon, but don't worry, you're all right. (laughs) (laughs) And I flew home. I didn't need to walk. I was on air. And then I got a two-year contract uh, to take me up to 17. And that was absolutely unbelievable for me. Sad, though, for my mother and father my brother. We had a small family of course but I was full of it and uh, off I went to Manchester. Um, So that was the transformational moment for me in my life really Um, and it had its upsides uh, and of course downsides as well because 15 uh, going to a strange country, strange city uh, with very little um, and it wasn't perfect for people for many people, but the the one constant in my life was that I was very, very hard working. I worked hard, worked hard, worked hard. Um, the other constant that was that I started smoking cigarettes, <laughs> which isn't good. So I wasn't a sort of a without sin.
0: So you were a hard worker for sure. Yeah. Was there something, was there an element to your game when you were developing as a footballer that you put a lot of focus on, a lot of attention, just some aspect that you really needed to work hard on?
1: Well, strength, um, which cigarettes didn't help. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't, upper body strength, Maria, as I'm sure you know, is so important in most sports, but it's very important in soccer. All the great, all the top players have that kind of upper body strength and I didn't. I didn't physically develop. Uh, really, Uh, and that prevented me, I think, from being, from fulfilling my potential. Technically, I was a good player, a bit like Wes Hooligan, who I'm sure you remember. Um, I was that kind of player, um, a a skillful player, uh, and, you know, a midfield player who could see a pass, Um, and um, I was kind of, I wasn't strong enough to be a top player. But I did my two years, and then there was another defining moment. When you were 17, you were either signed as a professional or let go. So that was another deadline. Um, and luckily, I was signed as a professional. That was a huge moment. Um, you got a Manchester United Blazer. <laughs> uh, you got a little rise. Uh, and you were a made man. You were going to get a real shot at it. So that was another defining moment, which I happily um, managed to uh, pass.
0: And and still so young, like that's the, the the standout thing. You know, you're you're just a teenager, and you're in this oh, yeah. environment, and you know, you're just a boy.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I mean, George Best was in this. He was a year younger than me. George, we were pals, um, but you saw what happened with his life later on. And there were many other casualties, really, in some ways you got bad habits going to betting shops um, and uh, staying out too late at discos and eating sort of pretty bad food um, in digs Uh, and being lonely at times. Nothing like today. Today, it's done properly. In those days, even at a club like Manchester United, you weren't really um, cared for. Uh, you trained and you got the best training you could hope for, but the rest of the day, and we finished training at one o'clock, you were left to your own devices. And that's not good. You weren't prepared, for example, um, by further education. Uh, And that part of it was bad. uh, And I didn't like it. But, um, you know, and later on, um, when I was a professional and had influence, I started to encourage people to go to college and, in fact, started a, an education programme um, which went on to become the PFA's, the Professional Football Association's uh, model for further education for footballers up to the point where they could uh, maybe even get a degree. But certainly some qualification that would serve them if football went wrong.
0: Was there a moment in your career where you felt that you really belonged at that top level that you know you could that you were going to make it?
1: No, there was a, a, the opposite. There was a moment um, when I was um, nineteen when I realized I wasn't going to make uh, Manchester United's first team, um, and where I should, I knew I had to go somewhere else. So I asked for a transfer, which Maples be surprised. I surprised him because he said to me people don't ask for transfers at manchester united <laughs> they want to join us not go i said i'm not good enough and i need to go so that was the moment then i went off to york city and uh, then to millwall and uh became a journeyman really uh in footballing terms but i played for Ireland, uh, and i you know played for millwall really they were the club I spent most time at, had a good team. We were in what's now the Championship um, and we came very close to getting into the First Division, which is now the Premier League. So I had a decent journeyman's career and it was it's always a struggle at that level and I continued to be... Nine stone four was my fighting weight and when the Rothmans yearbook came out every year, with all the details of all the players in the football league uh I was a stone lighter than the next lightest player who was 10 stone four so i had that disadvantage or oh, it was my own fault i wasn't looking after myself properly
0: did you have any major setbacks in your career or is there one that you can pinpoint that you think right this was this was the one that i really really found it difficult to overcome
1: uh, I was very lucky I didn't get injured uh, I never had a bad injury um, and I had nine happy seasons at Millwall uh, before going on to Charlton uh, Reading uh, as well we got promotion at Reading we got promotion at Charlton and in the first season I was at Millwall we got promotion so I was in three promotion winning teams which you know you um, was a very satisfying experience um, and very happy experience. Played for Ireland 23 times. Um, not in our best years, as is obvious, if I could get in the team. Um, but we, I think we only won two of those 23 games. John Giles once asked me, he said, did it ever occur to you, Eamon, that there might be some connection with you being in the team? <laughs> And losing all those games. I said, yes, John did. So, um, no, I had, I had a good um, career for someone um, who didn't have the strength to be a top player. And that was fine.
0: Who had the biggest influence on your career?
1: Um, well, John Giles was always a mentor to me when I was in the Irish team and he was in it uh, as well. Uh, So John was uh, an influence. Um, And we had a manager at Millwall, Benny Fenton, who was an influence as well. Played for him for a long time, I think seven or eight years. So uh, they were two people who had an influence on me.
0: Did you always want to be a footballer? or Did you have other oh, yeah. aspirations?
1: Well, I always wanted to be a footballer because the options weren't good. Uh, education, second level, wasn't an, an option because we couldn't afford it. And um, it's difficult to know where I'd have ended up if football hadn't happened for me. So... Um, yeah, I, th- I think every young street footballer who went went on to play schoolboy football would have a little dream that maybe you could get to England. And I still think that's probably the same, but it's done in a much better way now. Um, and But it still can be heartbreaking. If you go to England and say at 17 you're rejected you come back home, you've missed education, you've missed the opportunity to prepare for a real job. Um, Worse, if you come home age 20, as many do, 21, what are you going to do? Football doesn't prepare you for anything else, really. You don't get a qualification. It does prepare you for hard work and the ability to concentrate um, and uh, to generally build your character, because there's plenty of knots in it, you know.
0: What's harder, football or journalism?
1: Well, journalism is has its own disciplines and demands. So they're both hard to do well. Uh, and uh, they both um, demand, um, in my opinion, total dedication to what you're doing. Total commitment um and a kind of and the ability to to occasionally um concentrate and believe in yourself. And football helps in that regard because you have to do that every day.
0: Yeah. Did you ever consider getting football or was it
1: always soccer? No, I was too small, unfortunately. <laughs> I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have been, I'd only been a ball boy.
0: <laughs> so Eamon, when you think of all the, the games that you played and you look back at maybe when you are growing up and the footballer that
1: you wanted to be,
0: is there one standout performance that defines what you are about?
1: Um, there isn't really, Marie. I mean, I suppose the one thing I told you earlier about that 45 minutes when Matt Busley was watching Out of a two-week trial, uh, he was the guy who was going to make the call. And if I'd have played badly in that first half, uh, I was on the boat home. And it was a boat. Uh, And that was me dead uh, as far as my football dreams. So that 45 minutes changed my life without a shadow of a doubt. Changed it completely. Um, And of course, I kind of knew that it was very important, but I didn't know how life-changing it was um, and how fleeting Mm -hmm. the opportunity uh, passes you by. So I was very fortunate and I consider myself to be extremely fortunate to have had the life that I've had. Um, It could have been very different and is very different for so many people who probably more, deserve it more than I do. But I have I got the chance and I, I made the most of what I had or tried to. Uh, so if there is a kind of lesson that I've learned is don't whinge, don't moan, get on with it and work hard.
0: So what's been your greatest success then, do you think?
1: Surviving. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the greatest success is, is just to survive, to be fortunate with your family and um, uh, to be as good a person as you can be uh, and to work when you have to work and um, when you have to play, to play. <laughs> but uh, to be, I think, grateful for every day that you get and for every opportunity that you get. If you have a job, realise how lucky you are to have that job. Uh, And if you're lucky to have it, you really are obliged to work at it. So if you're going to work, you're actually going to work, not to mess or to skive. So I think I am guilty of an awful lot of things, Um, but I never was a skiver. Whenever I went to work, um, I worked, Um, and that's um, something that I got from my genes and from my family. Um, work hard. Uh, if you don't work hard, you don't deserve very much and you usually don't get any much.
0: And what would be your legacy then, Eamon? Do you think?
1: I don't know. I never think, I don't think journalists have legacies. Um, I, I never thought of that, to be honest with you. I never think about it. I mean, your, your legacy really, Marie, would be to be as good a parent as you could be, as good a husband as you could be, um, or as good. Um, as you could be in terms of your family and your commitment to your family. And in those matters, we all fail. Uh, but you have to try to be, um, you know, someone who was kind um, and someone who was thoughtful about other people. Um, if you do that, you don't need it. That's your legacy. I mean, legacies are for the big boys.
0: <laughs> and what's next for you then, Eamon?
1: Well, my podcast is doing really well and I know yours is a podcaster and I hope you do very well. I'm sure you will. Um, I I enjoy doing my podcast. Um, We have a good audience, large audience really. Um, And to do good work uh, starting uh, tomorrow morning (laughs) um, and to work as hard at that, which I do, um, as I did at the other things I I did. And, And then the other... Uh, essential quality Marie is is good fortune look Mm -hmm. you need to be lucky there's an awful lot of people who aren't
0: yeah, that's for sure. Well, Eamon, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And thanks for all the entertainment over the years as well. You have created some of the greatest moments in Irish history and no doubt you'll be in reeling in the ears for many, many years oh. to come. <laughs> uh, thanks so much. And um, I'm only sorry that I never got to see you play football and there was no YouTube around and all the rest. But I would say, um, I'd say you're a lot better than you seem to think you are anyway. So thank you everybody as well for watching and listening. Please subscribe, like and leave a review.